This is Stadium to Boardroom. Listen in as top athletes tell their stories on how they developed into successful entrepreneurs and business leaders. They reveal their own aha moment of transformation from the stadium to the boardroom. Hi, I'm Robert Reese. And I'm Lynn Green. And welcome, America, to Stadium to Boardroom. This is the one show where we interview top athletes who have turned their career into becoming top business people. You are going to learn the secrets of that. And our guest today is Dara Torres. How are you, Dara? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. And and Dara, as many of you know, she's actually, I believe, the single most decorated U.S. female Olympic athlete of all time. The only one I've ever heard of who's been in five different Olympic settings and, and has, I think, 12 medals, but then has done tremendous work in the business and entrepreneurial settings. And she's going to tell you about the challenges that she went through in building that. So first, let's start talking through, um, give us an answer. Would you say, are there any tie-ins between success in sports and success in business or not? And I know you started at 15 and until 41, you were in the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you really do learn a lot in sports. And when you're that young and you go, my first Olympics, I was 17 years old. And you can't really appreciate because you're so young, like your surroundings and what's happening. And you don't really realize what you're learning through athletics actually at some point will pay off in your life. And I feel like in athletics, you learn about hard work, you learn about sacrifice, dedication, time management, and all of those things that while you're, you know, trudging away doing, you know, your, your, for me two you know, swim workouts a day, weight training, running, like all that stuff. In addition to, you know, all the schoolwork you have to do, you learn how to sort of management and manage it. And I feel like that really, the, the, what you learn through athletics really trickles out into other aspects of your life. What kept you motivated to train and improve your skills from age you know, 15 to 41. That's a long period of time to stay motivated. And yet that kind of motivation is what entrepreneurs have because people say to them, aren't you going to retire after your first million? And they say, no, we're going to keep on going. That, that to me is an important intangible. Can I ask you about that? Yeah, you know, actually I started swimming when I was seven. So it's a little longer than than that. But uh, <laughs> my first world record was at 15. So I think that's, uh, you know, so I've, I've, I've been doing it since a very, very young age. And um, I feel like, you know, for me, it's goal setting. And um, I wanted to make an Olympic team. When I broke my first world record at 15, it was like, that's it. I want to go to the Olympic Games. Because if you think about it, the Olympic Games are for in the, in the amateur athletics world, it's the biggest event in the world that happens every four years when the top athletes from every country is going to be there. And so um, that was my goal. And once you attain a goal, it's like, okay, you want more. And, and you know, and it's hard because, you know, it's not easy to do that. And there are times when I got frustrated with the sport. I retired because I thought I was too old, uh, took off for many years, came back and then retired again and then came back. And I think I just really had such a love for the sport that I decided to, you know, keep going. But each time I went to the Olympics, there was a new challenge. Like my first one was like, okay, I'm young. 
you know, I'm 17. Not a lot of 17 year olds can say they've been in Olympic games. Then the next one, um, you know, I was in college. I want to go another one. The third one, I had retired for a year. I came back. I was 25 back in 92. You don't normally see back then kids out of college competing in Olympic games because there's not a lot of money in the sport of swimming. Then I took off seven years, came back in 2000. I wanted to do that because I was 33 and you can't, you know, it'd be my fourth Olympics. And oh my gosh, a 33 year old going to Olympic games. And then the last one I went to in 08, I had a child. I'm like, oh, well, I've had a child and, um, you know, uh, not many people could say they've had a kid and come back and swim in Olympics two years later as, as a woman. So there were always challenges for me. And <laughs> thank you. There were always challenges for me. And it, and it that's what kind of kept me going is, is the challenges and the goals. So when you're talking about challenges and each Olympic was a new challenge, we've already spoken and you had enormous challenges going into first public speaking, coming out. And here you are, this Olympian, but you were, you were doing bottom level, like at everything. And, you know, talk, talk about what that was like, what those challenges were, including public speaking and what you learned about facing those challenges? Okay, so two of my main um, joys post-swimming were journalism and public, and are journalism and public speaking. And uh, as far as journalism goes, I went to the University of Florida. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to go there is they have a really good journalism school there. And there you could do, and this remember this is back in the mid 80s, you can do, um, you, you get the experience because they had a radio station there just for the school. And so you couldn't graduate unless you went through the different parts of the journalism school, learning the skills. Um, and so when I graduated, I'm like, oh, okay, I've been in a few Olympic games. I can probably get a job. And uh, first thing was I had to intern. So I went to NBC sports intern and to CNN to see if I wanted to get into the written part of journalism, but I realized I don't want, I didn't want to after, I mean, I liked my internship, but I didn't want to after that. And then um, I became a runner at Wimbledon and I was getting coffee for Dick Emberg and Bob Costas and running around center court and all doing all these, you know, things that, that runners have to do. And then I ended up getting a job at NBC as a production assistant, a PA. And I actually was when, when they had the NFL show and OJ Simpson was on it and Bob Costas, um, they had me sit behind Bob Costas and it was before they had digital stuff. And I had, to, I was like the Vanna White of the NFL and I had to stand up and go and turn the scores when different uh, NFL teams would score. So I had to get up behind Bob, walk over to the scoreboard, turn the numbers and then go sit down behind him. So I definitely started like from the bottom and sort of worked my way up. And um, I tried to get on to do some television at local news stations in New York, not in New York City, but like Massapequa or, you know, smaller little areas. Um, and then honestly, what happened was I got asked to do the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue. When that, that happened, uh, ESPN came calling and I started doing some work for them. So I started off small bit and, you know, did sort of the grunt work with being an intern and a runner and all that stuff. And then, you know, a door opened because of my background with swimming and, and doing some modeling. But the public speaking, you know, that's something I never wanted to do. And you would think that athletes, because we're interviewed all the time, uh, would be very easy for us to go stand on a podium and just talk. And it is very, for me, it was very unnerving. Um, I don't like people staring at me, at least when you're in front of a camera and you're doing TV, it's just a lens and that's it. Not 
hundreds of people or thousands of people, you know, staring at you while you're speaking. And so I kind of felt like Al Brooks in the uh, movie Broadcast News when he never did on air and he got put on air and was just profusely sweating and was just a wreck. And I remember I'd go up, I'd have my whole speech written and I'd try to memorize it. And um, I'd get up in front of an audience and it really sounded like I was reading off a piece of paper because I was. And I realized that people were disinterested in what I was saying because I wasn't connecting with them. And then one day I went back out to California where I grew up in LA and went to my old high school, which was an all girls private school at the time, but uh, they combined with a boys school and the headmaster there asked me if I would speak. And I said, I don't have anything prepared. Like I can't do that. He's like, just go up and tell some stories. You'll be fine. And so I went up there and these are, you know, high school kids, teenagers. And I get up on the stage and I just start talking and start telling stories from the Olympics and just stuff that I thought that they would be uh, interested in. And they were like mesmerized. Like they were just watching my every word. No one was on their phones. I was like, oh, okay, this is how you do it. You tell stories And uh, I've really honed my skills and really love being able to get up on a stage, whether it's 20 people or 10,000 people and tell my stories. And um, I feel like they connect with you when you're when you're telling a story. And it doesn't matter that I was a swimmer. Um, You know, there are so many stories within my story that people can relate to even if they weren't swimmers. And so that's really, I think, what makes it interesting for people when I give my talks. Okay. Uh, incidentally, it's a small world. We, we, we had Patty Wolf on, and she's in one of her talks, she talked about Monday night sports being involved in it. And I said, what were you in, in, involved in, in Monday night sports? She says, I brought drinks to Howard Cosell. <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's go back to that last thing that you, you said, because it's very important. Okay, we both have had some success, okay, in writing books. Okay, what motivated you to take that? And there's a lot of time and energy that goes into to doing books. And I kind of thought I was doing it because I was conveying some messages that would help people. But what specifically, as far as your case? I had no intentions of writing a book. Like it wasn't something that I wanted to do. Um, Harper Collins had reached out to, um, to my agent and some other agencies did. Uh, and when that happened, um, I was like, well, I don't know if I have the time to do this. I have a toddler at home, you know, and as I was trying to think if I want to do this, I was taking time to think about it. People would come up to me and tell me how they love my story and, you know, start asking me questions. And then I finally realized, like, maybe I should write a memoir. And so I worked with a ghostwriter and, um, you know, we did hours and hours and hours of interviews. Uh, She really captured my voice and really helped me put it together on to paper. Um, once we did that one and it was, you know, a, a New York times bestseller, like on the <laughs> list, um, I decided to do another one. Cause a lot of people started coming up to me and say, how do your abs look like that? How are you so in shape? Like, 
you know, and I thought, you know, it'd really be really fun to write a book um, that had to do with fitness and health. And so I wrote a book called Gold Medal Fitness, and that did pretty decent too. So, but then after doing that, I'm like, okay, I'm done with books. <laughs> Just, you know, it was like another challenge. I did it on to the next thing for me. <laughs> which, is, which is great. We are about to take a commercial break. When we come back, you're going to hear more from Dara Torres. Back in a few. Hi, this is Robert Reese and Len Green on Stadium to Boardroom Show, where we interview the top athletes who then became top business people. And there's so much we could talk about on your business side. But one thing really interesting is is when you did the DVDs. And I think they were, you know, with Billy Blanks, they were like the all-time selling best DVDs. What was the secret in the success? Because everyone wants to know about Martin. You know, um, so that got brought up to me. My agent had brought up to me that there's a guy named Billy Blanks and he does this Tybo stuff and it's a really popular workout. And I love fitness. I love working out. Um, and I'm, but all I could keep thinking about was that guy, Tony Little, who would like scream into the TV, like doing the, you know, infomercials. And I just like, that wasn't me. And I, and that's all that was like stuck in my head. So when I got asked to do it, I'm like, I don't want to do this. And they, they said, well, let's just, we'll fly you out to California because I was living in New York at the time. We'll fly out to California and you'll take a class. And then, um, you know, you can decide and meet Billy and his team and stuff and see if you want to host these infomercials. So um, I was like, okay. So they flew me out and I actually went for like a six mile run. So I'm thinking how hard can these, you know, workouts be? Went for a six mile run and went, went over to a studio at like 11 o'clock. And literally, as I was walking in, all, the windows were just drenched with perspiration coming down. And Shaq was walking out. I'm like, oh, my God. And so I went in there. I'm like, this still has got to be easy, you know. And they put what he they put him, uh, one of his trainers next to me. And I literally it was like a, a 45 or 50 minute class. I stopped like every five seconds to say, oh, and like, am I doing this right? Just so I can get my breath. Like I was so exhausted and I was making up every, any question I could to take a break um, from this workout because I was dying. Uh, and I probably shouldn't have run six, six miles before, um, before I did it. But after going to lunch with him too, and just, you know, chatting with him, I thought, you know, I'm sorry if you hear dogs barking, those are my four dogs downstairs. I apologize if you hear them. Um, but, um, you know, I, I decided that I wanted to do it. And, um, you know, sometimes you make good deals. Sometimes you don't make good deals. Um, I really enjoyed shooting it. It became an overnight success. I had been in three Olympics at that point and no one knew who I was as an Olympian. They all knew me as the Thai bow girl. The only disadvantage that I had is I didn't do a back end deal. And um, I did an upfront deal and the thing took off. And I really had wished I had done a back end deal because I would have been really rich right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, you learn from your mistakes, but it was, you know, exposure is great. And even though I didn't get the money that, um, you know, I probably could have, I got a ton of exposure for it. And that led to other uh, jobs. Really does because you know I, I I almost believe that man plans and God laughs sometimes. That yes, I, for it, sure. However, I must warn you that I I helped start Blue Buffalo, so I understood what your dog was talking was barking about. Yeah, sorry. Oh, blue, I love Blue Buffalo. Yeah, they're just like <laughs> no, I think I, I, the landscapers okay. are here, so they're barking away. <laughs> okay, how about this one? If if you had one piece of advice 
that you could share with someone okay, looking for either success or better purpose in life. Do you have any idea what you might say to them? I think the biggest thing is to um, to keep your connections. Uh, you know, back when we were growing yeah. up, we didn't have phones and stuff like that. And so it was always really important uh, to write letters to people after meeting them to, you know, thank them for meeting them and, you know, very sincere like letters. And now I guess it's emails that they do or phone calls, but keep your connections because you never know um, how this person might help you down the road. And it always, somehow there is a circle that happens. And I've learned that a lot throughout my life is it's amazing what the connections can, can help you with. Uh, I just go one step further. I think not only having a network, but also being able to help other people, then it turns around and an awful lot of them want to help you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Let, let's talk about women entrepreneurs. And uh, uh, I've been on the goal, as many of you know, to get there to be more Fortune 500 women CEOs. But we know there are not enough successful women, and it's usually because they're not given the opportunity. They're not given the roles. Now that's opening up a little, which is good. Right. I, I want to know what advice you have, because not many people were an Olympian before they're trying to do something. And there are so many people with great <laughs> ideas. You've been spokesperson for over 100 top companies. <laughs> what, what advice do you have to women on succeeding in business, be it on the corporate side, on the entrepreneurial side, and if they don't have that background of being an Olympian, but maybe they're an Olympian at heart. Look, the, you know, being an Olympian at heart is great. Um, being, an, uh, you know, an athlete, there are definitely doors that open. Um, having a connection, your father does something like doors open, but not everyone has, you know, is lucky enough to have those opportunities. And, um, you know, it's really about, instead of stuff being handed to you, it's about the hard work you put in. Like, yeah, even though I was an Olympian and, but I had to train my rear off to, to be the best that I can be. And um, I think nowadays it's a lot different than it was back, you know, when I was younger, as far as opportunity for women. Um, you know, I always say that follow up with stuff, you know, never just let it be, you know, follow up. Like I, um, was pretty, pretty diligent when I wanted to work at NBC. I was always calling everyone. I was, you know, you have to work it. You have to work it and you have to work for it. And um, I just think it's important that, that you, you stay at it. You don't give up. Yeah. And, and Robert, if, if, if I had to draw a line, you know, of, is there any connection with, between all the people that you interview as, as CEOs and all the ones that we have that come to BAMPS? And, and it's, it's that, there isn't any real work-life balance if you really want to succeed. You almost have to put in all the time and effort and then try to have some kind of work-life balance somewhere else. Is that? And I'm sure that that's what's happened to you, isn't it? There? Well, yeah. You know, um, when I was younger and I had swim meets every weekend and I missed – you know, school dances and I'm, you know, other stuff going on. But then again, like at 14, 15, I'm traveling to Europe and swimming and meets over there representing the United States. And, you know, there's sacrifices. When I talked earlier about hard work, dedication and sacrifices, there are sacrifices you have to make to be the best. You just have to prioritize what's important to you. 
And once you get to a certain point in your life, then you can, you know, add in some of the stuff. But I also think it's important, you know, to have a life too. Um, you know, you, you don't want to just be stuck in a rut of doing the same thing over and over and over again. You want to have outside influences and, um, other things going on. I mean, that's a perfect example is, um, you know, when, when I get parents who ask me, well, like when you started swimming, is that all you did? You didn't do anything else. Right. You know, when these kind of crazy parents, you know, want their kids just to focus on one sport and that's it and not do anything else. But I would, I would say no, like I always had other things going on. Like I didn't want to like, except for Olympic year, when I just concentrated on swimming, that was great. But, but I had, like, I played volleyball and I played basketball and I had other things going on. So I feel like it's important to focus on what you want, set goals, but also have a life too. The big question. You've yes. done so much on both sides of the spectrum. How do you look at life going forward? Or do you have a goal, a plan of anything you're trying to do? Or are you just moving forward and thinking of, let's see what opens up next? You know what? I never look back. And, and people tease me because I never talk about the Olympics. I never talk about like anything that I've done. I always look forward. I'm a forward thinker. I think about what I want. I do set goals. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm always trying to see, you know, what's next. I think it's hard for someone like me who, you know, my Olympics was back. My last Olympics was back in 2008. So I'm fur- the further I get removed from being an Olympian, the less work you get. And so you have to work harder. So what is it on the horizon that you want to do next? What's a big I, I, I actually, I, I want to continue giving speeches. Like that's really what, um, you know, my passion is and motivating people. That's really what I want to do is I want to continue being um, a motivational speaker. And there you have it. What a pleasure it is having you on Stadium to Boardroom. And thank everyone, you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Everyone, listen to what you learned from Dara Torres. Number one, biggest secret of CEOs, tell stories. That's how CEOs buy. That's how they sell. That's how they convince. Other than the handwritten note as being the secret language of CEOs, tell stories. And the second is, I love the way you phrase this, Dara, follow up with stuff. Just keep going. Whatever you're doing, follow up with that stuff. Yep. And Robert, what I took away also was the fact you know you don't look back and you keep on setting new goals all the time as long as you're enjoying what you're doing. Because when you're enjoying what you're doing, you're really not working. Exactly. Thank exactly. you. <laughs> ben, out of over a thousand CEOs, he's one of the most successful people I know <laughs> in all five areas, and that's what he does. He's always looking forward. Wow, that's awesome. Stay well, young lady. You're doing Thank you. Day. It's so nice to meet Thank you guys. You. Thank you.